0: All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. You guys look good, and uh, we're going to jump right into it. We're in a new series right now, and it's uh, the best is yet to come. God's got an incredible vision that the problem is you have to get there. So there's, there's God's vision, and then there's, there's your part in, in the process. And so today we're going to be talking about stuck, like you're just stuck in a rut, You've been doing the same thing for so many years and you're just, you just can't seem to change your life. You can't seem to change your situation. You've been doing the same thing over and over and over again. Or you just can't get that breakthrough in your life that you've been wanting. You're stuck. So now we're going to talk about how to get unstuck. And this is going to be one of these practical application types of messages. So I'm not going to be talking a whole lot about faith or, you know, deep spiritual matters today. We're going to be talking about some very practical stuff. How to get unstuck. This is, this is going to apply to everybody, whether you've been walking with the Lord for your entire life or you just, you know, you just stumbled into the church today. It's going to apply to everybody. Now, when we, when we think about when we're, when we're stuck, how do you get unstuck? Uh, what's your motivation? It, there, I, I have several motivations whenever I'm when I, when I'm stuck. Uh, but there's three there's three main ones that I want to look at today. The the first motivation for getting unstuck is the motivation of pain. Pain is an incredibly motivating factor for getting out of your problem. And actually, I, I I'm going to refer to uh, the motivation of pain as as the motivation of hell. Now, uh, that sounds kind of strange, but uh, if you think about it in a way, uh, we have practical things in our life that, that that causes us pain that makes us change. Just everyday life, but on a spiritual application side of this, uh, pain or the fear of hell can be a motivating factor for you to come to faith. I was watching. I'm gonna make a confession. I was watching the History Channel the other day, and uh, I know, and uh, and they did a whole they did a whole section on on hell. They did a whole study on hell, and I was like, okay, this is interesting. And of course, they they, they you know they handpicked this the Southern Baptist hellfire and brimstone preacher. And uh, he says, the only reason why I came to faith is because I didn't want to go to hell. And that's what I base all my messages on. I'm going to scare people to heaven. And that's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not stretching it too much. This guy, he was pretty passionate about, about using hell to get people to heaven. And it, 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 it works. And if you, if you open up your Bible, you, you will see it, 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 it. Bible talks about it. Bible talks about hell. Uh, Jesus actually talks about it, preaches on it. We'll, we'll, we'll review that in a, in a second. But it, it, it's a real place, and it's in the Bible, and we do need to consider it. But in your own practical life, like your, your everyday, you know, thing, it's like, okay, sometimes it's, it's those painful situations that get you unstuck. Uh, I, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I need to make a change. Uh, I, you know, I... I I'm feeling so much. I'm hungry. I need to I need to get a job and start working. So it's it's usually these motivating factors that, that get us out of get us unstuck. Uh, Will Rogers has a famous quote. He says, "Some people they, they learn by reading. Other people learn by observing. The vast majority of people learn by touching the electric fence." <laughs> and it, we just we put things into perspective that way. If you got your Bibles. A couple of verses that I want you to look at that you can make notes of and underline. First one, James, uh, chapter two, verse seventeen. Faith, by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And up here it says, in the same way, faith by itself, uh, if not accompanied by action is dead. Faith without works is dead. That's a huge can of theological worms whether you realize it or not. It's probably something that we'll talk about on Wednesday night because you can have faith, and I will tell you time and time again that there's nothing that you can do to, to earn heaven. But what James tells us, what Paul tells us, is that if, there's, if you're not moving, if, if you have faith without action, then you probably don't have faith. Faith without works is dead. Faith without action doesn't accomplish anything. And so that's one of the, that's the major thought that we've got to think about is that you can, you can believe all you want, but if there's no action behind your thought process, you're just not going to go anywhere. All right. In Luke chapter 15, 14 through 18, I love this story. It's the story of the prodigal son. Uh, the the prodigal son was the guy that uh, took his dad's inheritance and squandered it and spent it and got, you know, wine, women, and song. Went to Las Vegas for a long time. And uh, he ended up in a painful situation. He was sleeping with the pigs. He, you know, uh, his money ran out and then his friends ran out. It's just like he was abandoned and he was in a painful situation. And then he, that painful situation motivated him. Okay. He says, um, I will get up and go to my father's house. This isn't fun anymore. And the pain was the motivating factor in his life. So uh, pain, it's, it's motivating. But my opinion is, it's the weakest form of motivation. You, you don't want to be motivated by pain. And we'll I'll explain that in a minute. But it does work. It will get you moving but it's the weakest form of motivation that we have. The next step up is, um, next point here, is motivation by pressure or tension. Now, this is what I'm going to call the motivation of earth. Uh, yeah, hopefully, you all have jobs. We, we, your boss will motivate you with pressure. If you don't do your job, if, you, if, you're, if you're not performing, I'm going to fire you. And and you will be motivated. If you're still in school or if you're in college, uh, I've had this experience where my professor says, if you do not get an A on this exam, you're going to fail the whole class. Uh, that's, That's pressure. That's motivation. That's tension. It's actually good. Some of you need a little bit of tension in your life. Some of you need some pressure in your life. Some of you need somebody in your life to hold you accountable, to put some pressure on you so that you'll grow. You have to let those types of people into your life. You might not like it, but it's, it's crucial. It's vital. You know, the, the tension is a part of life. It's healthy. You know, a kite, if it doesn't have tension on the line, it can't fly. Okay? So we have to be motivated into these areas it, it, to, to grow and to, and, to, and, to, and to, you know, to excel. To be successful requires an element of tension in your life Uh, Will Rogers has another famous quote and he says uh, if uh, you might be on the right track heading the right direction but if you're not moving you're going to get run over so if there's nothing motivating you to move you're going to get run over and so the tension and pressure moves us and it's a good thing and you need it you need it in your life um I have, a, I have a saying that, um, that, is, that is, I believe it's mine. Uh, I haven't seen it, anybody else say it, so I, I'm pretty sure it's mine. I don't know if I got it, picked it up from somewhere else, but uh, my, my, my saying is, uh, procrastination produces better work. Now, that's, it's, it's sort of true, right? Um, I, I work better under pressure. I have to have a deadline. I, I I have to have I have to have some impending thing on top of me in order me, in order for me to get my work done. I work better under pressure. Uh, you know, I, I I I will admit, and this is not the this is this is a terrible study habit, but I usually did the all-nighters, and I, I could I could crank out some good work. I was like Jack Kerouac when at the last minute and I had you know, I was at the keyboard. Is anybody getting the Jack Kerouac reference? Okay, there's a few, few of you. He uh, he wrote an entire book in, in one sitting, uh, helped by some chemicals. But the point is, it's um, he uh, sometimes that pressure just it 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 it, it gets it gets my creative juices flowing. I gotta have I gotta have some of that. And again, it's not the it's not the best model. It's not it's not a good study habit. But but pressure and tension is is valuable. All right. Whenever we find ourselves in a situation where there is no tension and there is no pressure, God does something. God loves you so much that he will put the pressure on you. He will put the tension on you. And we, we think a lot of times that... that I'm under attack. The devil's getting me. It's not the devil that's getting you. It's God that's getting you. It's God that's putting pressure on you. One of the famous uh, verses that, that our churches use, uses quite a bit, it's in first Kings, I'll just go ahead and read it here. Um, this is the story of Elijah. and Elijah, God provided for Elijah. He he gave him, uh, he gave him a period in his life where he could rest and where he could receive and where he could be rejuvenated to do his work, to do his mission. And he put, him, he put Elijah in a ravine. He gave him two walls. Some of us need four walls. He gave Elijah two walls and, and in a stream where he could have constant water. And then God sent the ravens to feed him. And so he had, he had this time of rest and respite. And then the scripture says... God dried up that brook. God dried it up. And, he sa- and then he said, all right, Elijah, time to get going. It's time to get on with what I've called you to do. And God, will, God does that to us. It usually is, is expressed in our finances. Sometimes God will dry up your finances in order to get you moving, to get you back on track on where you need to be, to get you on mission he'll do that. And it doesn't feel good because we think, oh Lord, why have you forsaken me? Why have you done this to me? This isn't fair. And then we begin this this whining process to God. We don't think that he's answering our prayers. That is this motivation to move. It's this motivation to get something done. We have to keep moving. We can't stay sedentary for long. God can speak into you. He can rejuvenate you but you are not made to be sedentary. That's Martin Luther King Day tomorrow. Martin Luther King Jr said, if you can't fly then run. If you can't run then walk. If you can't run if you can't walk then crawl. Whatever you do don't quit moving. Don't quit moving. So, this is is the point that we we get stuck in. We get stuck in a rut and and we feel pain and we feel tension. We just don't understand where it's coming from. All right? Now, the last major point on this is being motivated by revelation. Being motivated by revelation or perspective. And I'm going to call it the motivation of heaven. Now, if you are motivated by pain and if you're motivated by pressure, attention, good. But here's the, here's the problem with those two types of motivations. Once I have, you know, once my doctor has put pressure on me to lose some weight or I'm gonna die at the age, you know, I'm gonna die 10 years later, that's, that's, that's motivation, that's pressure, right? Um, and so I make the changes because I'm making the t- changes under pressure. Um, what happens? What happens if pain and pressure are your only form of motiv- motivation? You lose the weight and then you get skinny and then you fall back into the same pattern of living. You, 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 you backslide, you lose track, you give up and then you just you, you fall back in. Why? It's because you've been motivated by, by weaker motivations, motivation of hell and the motivation of the earth. But there's a better motivation. There's one that will keep you on track. That will not only get you unstuck, but it will it will get you successful. And you will have the breakthrough that you're looking for. And again, that's the motivation of revelation, of heaven. In Acts chapter nine thirty-six. This is the story of the Apostle Paul, who is the great antagonist to the early church, to the early Christians. They started off, the one man that was out to get them and is responsible for killing Christians has has a powerful revelation. He's on the road to Damascus. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice. Paul, why are you persecuting me? And and Paul Paul says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. And just like uh, Elijah in the brook, he says, get up and go. There's this action involved. Now, here's the difference between uh, Paul's motivation. Paul is a man of action. He has a purpose. He's passionate about what he does and he literally gets knocked off his horse by a bright light and he is he's on his back on the ground looking between the horse's legs and trying to see heaven his eyes he's been blinded by this light but that he has a new perspective his perspective is now heaven bent when God, when Jesus reveals himself to Paul, he doesn't say, Paul, straighten up or I'm gonna send you to hell. He gives him a higher vision of what his calling is. it's the kingdom of heaven. If you do a little, like I said earlier, hell is in the Bible and Jesus teaches on hell. You know how he teaches on hell usually? He says, if your eye causes you to sin, you better gouge it out because it's better to lose your eye than spend eternity in hell. If you're a little thief, it's better to chop your hand off so you don't steal anymore, so you don't go to hell. So that, that's kind of, it's usually how Jesus frames his discussions on, the, you know, on pain, on hell. But if you, if you go to Bible Gateway, and if you type in Jesus in hell and hell, you, you, you'll get one and a half pages of Jesus' teachings on that subject. If you type in Jesus and heaven, or Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, uh, you get page after page after page. He focused his whole ministry on the concept of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. This is what he was trying to paint for us. This was his major motivation for our life. He was trying to draw us in to something greater and he was using heaven to motivate us. Not hell, not the things of this earth, but Heaven. That's what he's trying to give us vision for. If you are are an employee, and if you have employees under you, uh, Dave Ramsey says something very interesting. He says, I don't hire employees. Employees, they show up late, they leave early, and then they steal while they're there. He says, I hire team members. I hire associates. And what he does is he says, you know, if you are in shipping, you're not shipping a box of books, you're shipping hope to somebody. You know, if you are, if you're on the telephone, you're, you're not answering phone calls, you're speaking hope into somebody's life. And so he, he's able to show them that, okay, I guarantee you that he'll use pain and tension to motivate people, but his number one, motivation is saying we're a part of something big here and I want you, I want to pull you into it. I want you to see what I see. I want you to see that, that, that what you do is bigger than, than what you think you do. There's more to it than, than the ICs. I have a friend who, uh, who is, uh, he's in the construction business, is a family business and they, they, they built cathedrals and his dad, you know, made him made his made his kid come to work, and he says, "All right, and you get the shovel and go dig that ditch," and and the kid's like, "I'm not going to dig a ditch. Are you kidding me? I want to I want to get on the drawings. I want to do the want to do the blueprints and stuff." And his dad says, "You're not digging a ditch. You're building a cathedral." And that needs to be our attitude towards work. That needs to be how we, we how we present our work. We we do it unto the Lord. Do you do your job unto the Lord? Yeah, we got to think about that sometimes. All right. So we have we, there, there's a bigger picture that we need to identify with to 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 revel it to, to resonate with. In Acts um, chapter nine seventeen through nineteen, so Ananias. This is a man that, that, that God called, that God directed to minister to Paul, his, his enemy. So Ananias went and found the house, placed his hands on the blind Saul, and said, Brother Saul, the master sent me. The same Jesus you saw on your way here, he sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. No sooner were the words out of his mouth uh, than something like scales fell from Paul's, Saul's eye. He could see again. He got on his feet, was baptized, and he ate. He got moving. He got, he was, it was this revelation. It was this light, this enlightenment that motivated Paul. In the West, and this is our West, the Western train of thinking adopted the theology of hell as one of its major primary motivating factors, both the Catholic church and the Protestant churches. Eastern church and Greek Orthodox churches, they focus more on heaven. They're confused as to why we spend so much time on evil and pain. All right. So this revelation, revelation, uh, it's the highest form of motivation, because we see love, we see art, we see beauty. Martin Luther King, Jr. has another famous quote. He says, "I choose to be inspired and motivated by love, because hate is too heavy of a burden for me to bear." I was doing a little bit of looking into his life, and um, there was a debate during his time between his approach to civil rights and Malcolm X's approach to civil rights. Now, Malcolm X, you know, he 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 chose a a violent approach. It didn't get fleshed out in ways that could have been really bad for our country, but he was all about people having the right to arm themselves, and it made a lot of people very uncomfortable at that time, but his approach was, it's going to take force for us to get what we need, and he crit- Malcolm X highly criticized Martin Luther King's Jr. approach on nonviolence, and he said, nonviolence will accomplish nothing because it's all based on a dream. We're not going to get any results based on that. And ugh, that can be furthest from the truth. Maybe Martin Luther King Jr. didn't see it fleshed out in his own time, but we're living in it right now. We're living in the expression of his dream right now. It, wasn't, it was a dream, but that dream took on legs, and it, and it formed something in our country that we didn't have before. And we can now recognize it for what it is. He had this vision of a higher calling. He had a revelation. This revelation kept him up at night. This revelation motivated him. There was nothing financially in it for him. It actually cost him everything. All right. Now, there's specific steps that I have. There's six steps, practical things that you can do to get out of this rut. To, to get unstuck. And um, uh, you're not gonna like them because I don't like them. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I'm preaching to myself today. And so if, if you don't get anything out of it, know that I did. So um, I'm preaching to myself. But the first thing that we got to do in order to get out of a rut, to get unstuck, is that, you ready for this? I have to assume responsibility. I have to res- assume responsibility for myself. There's basically three types of people in this world. There's accusers, there's ac- excusers, and then there's choosers. Accusers say, I, I can't be successful because this person did this to me. Accusers say, "You know, I, I'm, I'm stuck and I, I can't get a job because my, my boss fired me four years ago. Uh, accusers will, will make will accuse other people for their lack of happiness in their life. Excusers are a lot, are the same 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 type of thing. Excusers will make an excuse for everything. You know, I, I I I can't I can't get up and, and, and exercise because of this. Uh, excusers will say, I can't get ahead in life because you know, I have Eight kids, so they'll come up with all these different excuses as to why they're not successful in their life. They'll come up with excuses as to why they're not growing spiritually. I can't, I can't get closer to God because uh, I don't know, fill in the blank. But you get the picture, right? People choosers are the ones that actually get traction. They choose to be happy. They choose to grow. They choose to move forward and to get going. People that choose, they quit making excuses. At some point, you've got to quit blaming your parents for where you're at. You're 65 years old. (laughs) You you, you were seven when that happened to you. It's time to move on. You know, that, that deep emotional scar. It's time to move on. You've got to quit using other people as a scapegoat for why you're not successful and why you're not happy. It's, it's now your responsibility. It's time to move forward. Second thing that we got to do, this is, this is key. They're all key, but this one is this one's really important, is that you have to believe that you can change. You have to have a deep conviction and passion that you can change, that you can be transformed. You. It can happen to you. You can break that cycle. You can break that, that, that family tree that doesn't know how to handle money or that, has, that does bad behavior. You, you can break that cycle. It happens in the mind. You have to choose in your mind what to do. Proverbs twenty-three, seven, verse seven. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, there's two parts to that. There's your brain, and then there's your spirit. Okay, you 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 know, this is we, we do this all the time. Oh, I can imagine myself a millionaire but I'm not going to do anything to get there. You're just going to, besides, you know, scratch some tickets, okay? That's about as motivating as you're going to get. And you, ha- you have this incredible hope and faith that you're going to hit your numbers. It's not going to happen. Um, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Attitude determines outcome. How you think determines how you're going to be. We have to quit beating ourselves up. We have to quit believing the lies of the enemy that, that oh, I'm a loser. Oh, I'm lazy. Oh, I'm a jerk. You, you know, I, I do, this, this happens to me all the time. I, I do something stupid, and then I say, oh, Josh, you're an idiot. It's, it's, it's self-talk. Maybe it's not... Maybe it's trivial. Maybe it's you know, not that meaningful, meaningful. But what I have done is I've sown a seed that the enemy is going to reap later. So, I, I, okay, I, you know, I left the milk out. Oh, Josh, you're an idiot. Okay, not that big of a deal, right? Well, the enemy of God's going to reap that negative word later. When, I really, when something really bad happens, he's going to say, see, I told you. You can't change. It's impossible for you to change. You're unchangeable. Okay, the whole message of this gospel that we have is transformation. It is transformation, and you have to believe in your heart that I can be transformed. I can be transformed. Romans 12:2, memorize this. Memorize Romans 12:2. The renewing of the mind. Transformation happens from the renewing of the mind. You have to renew your mind so you can think the right way. All right. Next major point. This one's not fun. This one, this one takes a little bit of work. You have to clarify what God's purpose is for your life. Like, you're going to have to actually sit down. You're going to have to spend some time in prayer. You're going to have to be honest with yourself with, with who you are, with what your motivations are. You have to ask yourself questions like, am I a selfish jerk? And God will tell you yes or no. He will. You know, you got you to gotta, you gotta ask yourself, is these dreams that I have, whose dream is it? Is it your dream or is it God's dream? It is okay to dream big. God, God actually wants you to dream big. He wants you to go wild with your thoughts. But you really have to get down to, you have to know thyself. Am I, are my motivations selfish? What, what is, what's my goal? All right. If, if your motivation for coming to church is to uh, do multi-level marketing, you've got a bad motivation for coming to church. Okay? It's, it's not a sales... It's not a sales... Uh, pool here. You know, there's not people in your downline here. Don't do that. You come to church to encounter God. Okay? So that will get your motivation right. God has a He's got a dream and a purpose for your life. And you have to you have to come to agreement on what that is. You need to clarify the direction God wants you to go. He'll tell you. Again, it's going to take some time. You gotta you gotta be honest with yourself. In prayer, he's going to clarify it for you. You need to make sure that that your dream is his dream. Chances are they're the same. He just needs to tweak you a little bit, but chances are they're the same. And then you have to be consistent in what God has called you to do, whether it's your career or whether it's your ministry. You have to be consistent. Any educator in this room knows that consistency uh, with parents doing their homework with their kids is the number one indicator for success in the classroom. You know, we've got great teachers in our society, uh, but I mean, it's the parents. If parents would do their job, sit their kids down at the kitchen table and do their homework every night, teachers' jobs would be a lot easier. It's that consistent pattern of behavior that will give you success in your life and in your spiritual walk. Are you, do you have a daily time with God? You crack in your Bible every day. Are you consistent with that? Are you consistent with your prayer life? Are you consistent with your fellowship, with the small groups? Is there people consistently in your life that are holding you accountable? It's vital. It's vital. It's crucial. All right, so you have to clarify and you have to be consistent. Next one, four. Oh, this is fun. Don't wait for the ideal circumstance. Okay? We talked about you just got to go. You just got to get going. Did I tell you the Will Rogers quote on being on the right track? Okay. You, got it. You, can, you can be headed the right direction on the right track, and, and you, just, you just sit there. And what do, what do Christians say? What do people of faith say? They say, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the, I'm just going to, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Um, that one, I'll argue that that's not scriptural. You know, there's times where you need to, you need to slow down and you need to, you need to you're, you're going, you're, you're, the pace of life is too fast. You can't hear God if you wanted to. you need to slow down but usually when people get sedentary you know when they when they're when they're in the ravine by the brook chilling out god wants you to get going and we say oh i'm just waiting on the lord i'm waiting for god to do something to me and god's saying i'm waiting waiting for you to get going here when are you gonna get going do i need to bring some more pain into your life for you to get going you know, that, that verse, wait, wait upon the Lord, it's actually, it's not a passive verse. It's not a passive verb. The, the, it's an active verb. The, the, the concept of waiting on the Lord is active. It's as if, as if you're, 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 you have a, a narrow focus and you're waiting for something to happen so you can pounce on it when it does. It's as if you're hunting an animal and you've, you're just, you know, you're waiting for it to come in, in into line so you can kill it. That's the concept. You're waiting in a blind. It's not this passive, I'm going to sit back and not do anything with my life. There is no opportune time. You know, Mako and I were like, okay, we can't have a kid yet because we're just not ready. Uh, pastor told us different. <laughs> I need a grandkid. Just give me a grandkid. Everything will work its way out. You know. Life will be fine. Don't worry about it. If you, you know, there is no opportune time. If you're waiting for the right time, there is no right time. There is no perfect time. There, there are no perfect conditions. You waiting to start that small business? I'm just waiting for, you know, I'm waiting for a Republican to get in office. Don't do that. that, that that's not going to help your situation. Oh, I'm just waiting for, you know, I want to make sure that that I got all my ducks in a row. Um, Planning is great, right? But we, we we can use perfection to procrastinate on our dream for our life. Did you know that? Perfectionism can hinder us from going forward. Pastor says, I like to get my ducks in a row so I can shoot at them. Like, I like, to, I like to see my ducks fly all over the place. <laughs> you know, throw something on the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> That's probably not the best, but it, you see the point. We can, we can be so consumed with the details that we procrastinate. In that case, procrastination doesn't produce better work. It produces nothing because we're paralyzed. We're paralyzed. We choose to paralyze ourselves because we're Deep down inside, we're afraid to move forward. We're afraid to take the risk. We're afraid of change. Right? So you have to, you have to. Not wait for the right circumstance. Okay, this one isn't fun at all. Number five, is it? You have to. I, I tell you, I'm preaching to myself. You have to. Okay. Not only do you have to like do something and move and go forward, but you have to do it physically too. You got to move your body. Some of us just need to walk around the block every day. Like we just need to be consistent in our exercise. Some of us are, are, are sick and tired of being sick and tired and we want to make a change. Well, the best spiritual advice I could give you is exercise your body. Uh, depression can be averted by a daily walk Sometimes, We we gotta get the body moving. And it's not just the concept of healthy and getting you know, being physically fit. It the concept is you're the body you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And some of us can't do what God called us to do because we're just too tired because we haven't taken care of our bodies. So I encourage you, you can hold me accountable. We need to walk around the block. All right. and The last thing is this is this is interesting. Is we got We got to make a change now. Like you need to do it. Ne- you need to do it today. You know exactly these. Everybody has these things that, that we're stuck in. If you want to get unstuck, you got to do it today. You gotta. You gotta make a list. Okay. You know when you when you, when you do that prayer time when you're clarifying. Where, you, where God wants you and where you want to be and making sure that your will is his will? Write that down. Write down your goal, your personal goal for your life, your spiritual goal for your life. Write that down and then make it a point of prayer and then go after it today. You want, you want a better marriage? Be, be nice to your wife today. You want to you improve your finances? Go home and do your budget. Oh. Practical, practical stuff. Do it today. If you need to write, if God's speaking to you right now, and if you, if you know what those things are that he needs you to work on, write it on your tariff. Put it in your Bible. You don't have to drop that one in the basket if you don't want to. If you want us to agree with you in prayer, drop it in the basket, and we'll, we'll pray about it on Tuesday. But do something today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't put off your change. Interesting thing about our outline today is that um, they're all biblical principles, right? This is all biblically based. But you could actually go to Barnes & Noble and you could pick up a self-help book on these biblical principles. And here's the, here's the sad and tragic thing is that there are unbelievers in our world today that have got these biblical principles and have applied them to their lives and they're successful and they don't know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. They see the value of generosity. They see the value of consistency. They see the value of, of positive thinking. Some great books are obviously The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey, uh, Dave Ramsey's is good. Um, they're, all, they're all there. So you could, you could be successful and not come to church. Yeah, my last point in the first part of this is your motivation should be heaven. And here's the beautiful part is that you can have heaven on earth. And not only can you have these biblical principles working for you in your life, if you know the Lord, not only will you be successful, if you know the Lord, you apply these biblical principles to your life and and you, you marry that. With relationship with the Lord, you, you add God into the equation; it multiplies it. It multiplies it. I'll oh, me illustrate. When I was a, when I was a I don't know a young boy, five or so, um, my parents they took me to the animal shelter, and I got my very first dog. And I remember going into the into the kennel, and there was a there's a litter of puppies. And there was one that made eye contact with me and I'm like, that's it. And so I remember vividly in my mind, again, I was probably five years old. I remember in my mind uh, holding the puppy on the stairs of the shelter while my parents were doing the paperwork and I didn't care what they were doing. Like all time went away at that moment. And I made a bond with an animal. I made a bond with an animal, strange. And We grew up together, and uh, you know the dog got bigger. And this was an Altaloma before it got developed. And so I was one of these lucky kids that grew up with with uh, fields and orchards, and that was my backyard. It was amazing. And so I had this dog, and he was I named him Goliath. He was part he was part shepherd, part husky, part collie, and then we think that he might have been part wolf, because. There was just something wild about this dog. He just wasn't quite right in the head. And he, he you, 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 couldn't, you couldn't train him. You couldn't get him to do tricks. He wouldn't stay in the backyard. Um, he wouldn't play fetch. He did his own thing. Uh, whenever my parents tried to discipline me, he would get between us. It's awesome. You know, he would... Uh, at night, he would hop the fence. We had a, we had a six-foot fence. He'd just, he'd just hop that thing, and he'd chase the coyotes all night long, and he'd come home bloody. We had a, we had a, a path above our house, and he thought it was, f- we, this was when dirt bikes were big, and uh, they, would, they, would run, they would run this dirt path to get head up into the hills. And um, he would hide behind a bush and chase these guys down so he could pull them off the bike. And he did it several times. And... Uh, uh, you want another story? All right. There was this. There was this good old boy, and uh, you know he had his old pickup truck, and he had his he had his bikes in the back, and and uh, he was driving on our property, and Goliath just goes crazy, and this good old boy says, uh, to he, he had a dog in the truck, and it was a I know it was a big mean dog, and he says, he says, uh, um, all right Rex, go sick him, and so the, the dog jumps out, they tangle, and Goliath wins. So the dog jumps in the cab, and so Goliath follows the dog in the cab, and so the guy is, he, it, was, it was funny. had his, But, but I, mean, he, I mean, luckily the dog passed away before it was developed because there's no way that we could domesticate this dog. We'd have to put him down if he lived in an actual neighborhood. I mean, he killed everything, rabbits, squirrels, cats, poodles. It just... I know. And so one day I was, my parents would just let me run the fields all by myself at like seven and eight. And I would just go on these adventures by myself and, and my dog would follow me. And sometimes he would just disappear for a period of time. And I was going up this, the washes below the, the, the the mountains here. They were there. The walls were huge. Uh, the the you know the wash or the ravine you know the, the walls were as high as our building here on, on on both sides in some places and so I would I was I was traveling up the ravine probably hunting something with my pellet gun and um, uh, there was a there was a there was a, a fork in the ravine the ravine went off into two directions so I went in one direction turned the corner and there was this big giant dog like a rottweiler thing. And he was just right, right when I turned it, this dog was just right on me. And fangs showing, snarling, growling. And I'm like trying to back up. And another dog comes around the fork of the the ravine. And it's like this pit bull thing. And it was scary. These animals were, it felt like they were bent on tearing me apart. Um, I wasn't just. I wasn't between a rock and a hard place. I was between a Rottweiler and a pit bull. <laughs> and out of nowhere, uh, you know, my dog just leaps off this 17-foot cliff and, and contends for me. He starts fighting these two dogs. I was so close that uh, my hands got scratched and, and bit. And I don't know which dog bit me. It could have even been my own dog and I got thrown up against the wall, and I, rocks fell on me, and I was a bloody mess, and, and, I, and I tried to escape, and I got out, and we were walking home, and the Goliath finally catches up to me, and we're both, uh, we're, just, uh, we're both a bloody mess, but his wounds were a lot deeper than mine. His wounds were a lot deeper than mine. And the talk saved my life. He contended for me. And see, you can, you can apply biblical principles And they can change your life. But that doesn't mean that you have bonded with your creator. Once you bond with your creator, he will contend for you when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. That's that exponential power that you will get once you bond with your creator. Once you bond with your creator, he will get you unstuck. At any cost, he will get you unstuck at the cost of his own life. Because he has a bond with you. If you haven't bonded with your Creator, if you haven't bonded with the person of Jesus Christ, don't procrastinate. That's what you need to do today, that's what you need to do now. Don't say, well, once I get my life together, once I quit sinning, and once I quit messing up, then I'll, then I'll accept Jesus. That's not how it works, folks. That's not how it works. You can't earn. You can't get good enough to get into God's presence. He'll take you just the way you are. He'll take you just the way you are. I'm going to have the band and the ushers to come up to the front as they're on their way up. I'm going to give you the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed, and if you need to make a bond with the person of Jesus, with your creator, I want to encourage you today. Today is a good day. With every eye eye closed and every head bowed, if you need to make that that bond with your creator today, why don't you raise your hand or make eye contact with me? All right, good. God bless you. May the spirit of the living God rest on you. Good, God bless you. That's a beautiful thing, folks. That's a beautiful thing. Father, we thank you for these... Uh, these two confessions of faith. God, we pray that uh, where the enemy has been sent in to steal, kill, and destroy, that your spirit has been sent in from above, that has descended from on high and has rescued them, has saved their souls, God. God, I pray right now that you would give them a fresh revelation of who you are, of your goodness, of your power, of your glory, of their purpose and plan for their lives. Bring them into a relationship, a bond that goes deeper than just uh, saying, hi, how are you? We thank you for that, Lord. Father, I pray that you bless this this offering. God, and for those that uh, have that, like, like the finances, that's one of the things that's on their list, God. I pray as they go home, that they will just give give you that place in their life. Reveal to them what they need to do with their finances. Father, we pray that you bless it. Bless our day.